listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. And if you are here for the first time, I want to warn you, this is going to be different. I mean, that's the great thing about a podcast is that right now, I'm telling you, if you want to know what Humanize Me is about, what it's really like, what we do here, turn this episode off and go to another one. Go back in the archives. They're all there and listen to virtually any other episode. But today, I'm telling you, it's going to be different because for one thing, John isn't here to restrain me. I am on the mic by myself today. I am my own engineer. It's like back in the in the bad old days of Humanize Me when it was me and a microphone and nobody to stop me. And, and that's part of why it's going to be different. But the other part of why it's going to be different, to be honest with you, is because I've planned it that way. Today is going to be what I guess you would call a mishmash episode. Wait, no, do not call it a mishmash episode. Call it a call it a potpourri episode. Call it a a an an a la padrida. Yes, a la padrida. What a beautiful word. It's a Spanish word, meaning a, a collection of different things. Uh, call it a farrago, derived from Italian, I believe. Or, or a galamafri. Galamafri. That's it. Galamafri. That comes from French, and it means a, a random collection of different people or things. I, I know what you're saying. You're saying, why, why are you giving us a, a, a list of synonyms and def- definitions? What, why are you using words like omnium gatherum? Why don't, yeah, that, and why don't we call this an omnium gathering, gatherum? We could call it that. A salamagundi. Yes, let's, that's it. Today, we're going to have a salamagundi episode of Humanize Me. All those words are variations on the theme of mixed bag. I was listening to uh, an episode of Radio Lab recently, which is a one of the podcasts that I recommended when we were talking about podcasts that are worth listening to, uh, or that I think are worth listening to. And they had on a, one of their old producers, a woman named Lulu Miller, who I've heard on other. She she does a lot of stuff in the podcasting world, and she was talking about this bike trip she took across America with an old college friend named Sue. And as she was talking about Sue, she said. Her friend Sue regularly, regularly creates language mashups that really work. And you say, well, what's a language mashup? And she said, like, one day her friend was running around her apartment saying, I can't find anything. I'm so crazzled. And you think, oh, I know exactly what you mean. You're, you're crazed and you're frazzled. And she mashed them together into crazzled. And, and you know just what she's talking about. It's a beautiful invention. And she said one day, she's like, oh, I feel terrible. I've been eating too much grubbish. Honestly, that's a better word than grub or rubbish. And I just think like there's something beautiful about somebody playing with the language. But if we don't have a lot of words to start out with, we won't have a lot of words to mash them up and make new words out of. And so here's my challenge to you, especially those of you that have children in your life. When my kids were growing up, no matter what they were eating, you would say to them, hey, how do you like that spaghetti? How do you like that hamburger? And they would say, oh, it's good. And I got to the place where I just wouldn't take it, especially from my daughter. And she would say, I would say, how's that hamburger? And she would say, good. And I would say, do you mean mouthwatering? She would say, no, good. And I would say, do you mean tasty or flavorful, delectable, delicious? 
and she would always smile and say, good. But she knew what I was getting at. And I think that we shouldn't let kids off the hook. Make them find a new word for awesome. Make them find a new word for fun. Give them possibilities. Broaden their verbal horizons just for the fun of it. And so today, welcome to the Humanize Me Salamagundi. Now then, our first order of business today is a shout out for our friends at the Clergy Project. And if you don't know what the Clergy Project is, a, a few years ago, I did an episode with a friend named Drew Beckius, who at the time was the president of the Clergy Project. And, and, and I learned about this kind of, I don't want to call it a secret society, but it, it really is a kind of an invitation-only website and connection point for members of the clergy who have lost their supernatural credulity. And a lot of them are out of the ministry, but even more of them are still in, kind of trapped in situations where they no longer believe the stuff, but it's their job, it's their livelihood, it's their culture, it's their identity. And they feel incredibly lost sometimes and incredibly alone. And they don't know if there's anyone they can talk to safely. And the clergy project is this place that that they can go and be safe and be anonymous and be ask questions and share resources and I know people for whom the clergy project was their lifeline in the early days of their deconversion or that has it has continued to help them be good humanists, be good human beings in the context of living these weird double lives that sometimes they feel forced to live in. And so I'm a huge fan of the clergy project. And I got a note today that was uh, addressed to me and some of the old heads that actually started this program, Richard Dawkins and Dan Dennett, Linda Lascola. And they were, they were celebrating because just last week, the clergy project accepted its 1,000th member. A thousand people who have found that community and are engaged in it. And that's a big deal. You got to hang around a long time to get a thousand people. And you've got to provide some value and you've got to provide some care and some, some support or else the first hundred people wouldn't start talking to the next hundred people because this thing spreads by word of mouth. And so listen, I, I, I know that there's a public facing page of the clergy project, or you can listen to my conversation with Drew from way back. The clergy project is a cool thing and they're having a cool moment. And I just want to say to all of those people and the people that work so hard to make that resource available to people who really need it. Thank you. Thank you a whole lot. It's a big deal. And congratulations. So there, that's a shout out. There, th there you have it. Item number one of the Salamagundi. Now, take a deep breath because we're, we're going to change gears here. Go in a whole other way. Um, what I want to talk to you about right now, the next thing on the Salamagundi is I want to share a poem with you. And it's a very meaningful poem to me. And it's not just meaningful 
because of who wrote it. It's meaningful because of what it is. So rather than me building it up, I'm just going to I'm just going to turn it over. I asked the poet to make me a recording of herself reading the poem and I'm going to play it for you and then and and then after you've heard it, we'll come back and we'll talk about it for a minute. So here you go, a poem I think you should hear. Hi, my name's Naomi. I'm Bart's niece. I'm 20 years old and I'm in school. And this is a poem that I wrote for class that he asked me to read. Off the intersection of Whitney and Trumbull. There is a Chinese supermarket between my former therapist's office and the spot where I realized that God's death is more complicated than I thought. I forget what it's called, but I know where to find the lychee jellies and the coconut water. On a telephone post outside, there used to be a flyer. Do you want or need prayer? 203-429-4563. I find the coconut water and walk home before he has time to tell me he loves me and that I forgot the lychee jellies. So you see, nepotism isn't always a bad thing. Naomi Goodhart is my family, but Naomi Goodhart is also a genuine artist and, to my mind, a genuine humanist. I don't think she would probably claim that. Uh, I doubt she has tattooed that on her ankle. Um, But there she is, a student at one of the finest universities in our land, Yale University, Um, a young woman figuring it out, and she, she, she... puts down on paper an experience that I think so many of us have had. Uh, so ma- it's, it's almost, a, I would say, almost a universal experience. There's the experience of falling in love, and there's the experience of having a moment where even if you don't believe in God, you wish that God would show up for you. You wish he would speak to you. Or maybe you are a believer, and we know many, we, all of us have loving, wonderful believers in our lives, and some others too, but all of us have people that we know that in desperate moments have counted on their God to be present, to make his presence known, and have been met with silence. And so there's that moment. And it's funny because Naomi's poem is so specific the place, the time, the, the, the flyer on the, on the post, in its very specificity, that's why I liked it, because her specificity uh, put me in mind of my own, of, of a very specific moment in my life where I wished that somebody would be on the other end of the line, and I found myself talking to empty air. So I, I just... My sister sent me that poem, and it, and, she, and my my sister does not send me regularly every small accomplishment of either of her children. She sent it to me because she knew that that was a moment that she, she and I have talked about many times in our own lives, and she was just proud of her daughter for for being wise enough to recognize it. And I, I'm sharing it with you because I just think. We need more art that isn't about what's wrong with everybody else, 
but that is about helping us understand who we are and the moments that shaped our consciousness and the moments that made us who we are and both the the scars that we carry and also the the lessons that we learned from people and from experiences and so so there and you might say bart doesn't often share poems on humanize me and that's right i don't but i am today because it's a salamagundi and now we have come to the most salient point of this episode or for those of you playing at home the most noticeable or important point of this episode the thing i really want to talk about the big idea if you will and the big idea in this case is kind of a riff on that old gandhi quote that people put at the bottom of their emails all the time be the change you want to see in the world and i think for a lot of us especially those of us in this conversation that we're having here on humanize me a lot of us the problem is not that we're not not that we're failing to be the change but the problem is we don't know what we want to see in the world i've talked to so many people who if i say to them what spiritually speaking i mean let's just keep it on a spiritual level we're not talking about global warming we're not talking about economic justice we're not talking about racial harmony we're not talking about any of that stuff i'm just talking about on a spiritual level what kind of world are you working for and sometimes they'll say well i just want to i just want to rescue as many people as possible from believing in god and i'm like hey that sounds lovely i guess sort of maybe but what about the people who don't want to be rescued what about the people that are not going to be rescued because they love believing in god what about the people who can do no other than to believe in god what's your vision of the world because if your vision is of a world where nobody believes in god you are utopian you are unrealistic you are chasing rainbows the fact of the matter is is you could if you got one of those machines from the men in black movie where you could wipe people's brain clean and you could wipe all the supernaturalism from every brain in the entire universe in the entire on the on this planet i promise you 2 weeks from now somebody would invent god all over again it is the most natural thing in the world for human beings to find reasons and stories and explanations for things they don't understand in every culture everywhere in the world without any prompting people invented some form of supernatural faith and they'll do it all over again the wonder isn't that people believe in god the wonder is that anybody doesn't that's the triumph of reason and education in the scientific method as far as i can tell the fact of the matter is it's natural to believe in god and people always will so if your vision is a world in which everybody's just like you everybody's a lovely kind sweet human is just like you give it up you need a better vision i see people in marriages where one spouse has deconverted and the other one has doubled down and both of them are actively the, I, I say what's your vision for the marriage and 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 he'll say oh I, that she'll come back to jesus and she'll say that he finally comes to his senses and i think they're doomed 
The only mixed marriages that are going to work are ones in which the couples have given up on a vision of bringing the other person over. And instead their vision is, how can we have a marriage in which I as a humanist can support the best kind of Christianity in my spouse and, 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 and where the, the, the Christian or the, or, or, the, or the Muslim or the, or the, the Orthodox Jew or who, whatever faith on the other side of this says, how can I be the kind of evangelical Christian that celebrates and is proud of and wishes the best and tries to encourage the best pursuit of love and goodness and my values in the secular humanist that I'm married to. Ultimately, you've got to have a vision of the best possible relationship between people who share different worldviews, whether it's just in your marriage or if, it, or if it's in the world as a whole. So people that have declared war on religion or have declared that religion is the, is the poison of everything or that, that the no good can come of it, first of all, you're not paying attention because a lot of good comes of it in a lot of people's lives. If you don't know a drug addict who has overcome their addiction in the context of some religious fellowship, you... I'd love to introduce you to a bunch. And you say, oh, but Bart, it wasn't really God that saved them. It was that, it was that group of people that got them a job and got them a place to live and cared for them. And, and I said, yes, that's true. And that group of people was organized around that belief. That, was, that, that tribe only exists because those people share that worldview. And those people can do no other than share that worldview. And that worldview doesn't guarantee that they're going to build that kind of fellowship but it means there's a possibility for them. There's something for them to build it around. I'm trying to build this caravan fellowship in Cincinnati with my friends. And yeah, it's built around a shared worldview and it's a beautiful thing and it's really growing. And we're learning how to nurture each other's goodness and we're learning how to do collectively to do good things in the world. And we're learning how to teach our children and teach our friends' children about the wonder of life and, and, and to take this life seriously because it's finite and precious. But not that, that fellowship, that, that community isn't for everybody. And just as those of us that are in it are unable to believe in God, there are people that are unable not to believe in God and they need a community too. And your vision for the world should, should include them being part of tribes that represent the very best version of those faiths. Because, you know, all those faiths, they're malleable. All those faiths, there's, there's some version of it that is kind of humanist value-oriented and some version that is hardcore, angry, mean. And, and we've got to learn to not only envision a world in which the other tribes share our values, but to encourage and to support people that are working that direction in other worldviews. And so I got to tell you, most of the people that I see that are struggling in their marriages around these issues, it's, it, the real problem is, is that they have, they, ha they may have shared values, but they haven't come up with a shared vision. 
They haven't come up with a vision that says, just as in this world, there needs to be a place for both of us to pursue our faith. And we have to learn how to encourage each other in those pursuits. So too in this marriage, so too in this family. What about our kids? There's, there's this very important thing. And now I'm not saying that it's that simple. I'm not saying that there aren't real issues. I'm not saying that every cross-faith marriage, that every, that, that every marriage can be saved or that every kind of Christian is the kind that you can forge that kind of mutual support packed with. I'm just saying that if you can't envision yourself encouraging any version, supporting any version of faith, then you literally are not going to be happy in this world because there is no place in this world where you can escape. So, what's your vision? That's my question. What's your vision? Can, can you imagine yourself sitting across the table from a Christian friend or a Christian family member and saying, what happened in church today? And listening and saying, huh, that's really interesting. Now, how does that work? Or, 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 but you've told me other, in other cases that Jesus says this, what that pastor said, that doesn't seem to align with your, your sense of who Jesus is, where you actually, and they say, why are you trying to help me be a better Christian? You don't even believe this stuff is real. And you say, no, but you do. And I, want to see you thrive. My humanism is more about people embodying the right values and enjoying their lives and building great relationships than it is about people believing what I believe. Because if, if you can only be happy in a world where everyone agrees with you, you are doomed. And I'm not doomed. And I don't want you to be doomed. We've got to learn and, and that doesn't just mean going like whatever they say is great. Sometimes people will share things from their faith and will go like, wow. That just violates all of my values. Not that's insane or that's absurd or how can you believe that there is no such thing as a God. That's the wrong place to challenge a Christian. The place to challenge a Christian is not when what they tell you violates your your worldview or your or your scientific understanding. It's when it violates their values. It's when it violates your sense of what love is, your sense of what goodness is. Because that's the place where they can hear you. So listen, this, I, I, some of you are saying, Bart, this is nothing new. You've said this a million times. Why are you saying it all over again? And the truth of the matter is because I'm, I'm, I just ordered three books from the library about interfaith marriages. And I guarantee you, none of them are going to include a chapter about how to be related to somebody who doesn't believe in God at all. And therefore, there's none of them that are going to have a chapter about how a person who doesn't believe in God, God at all should relate to somebody who does. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not dumb enough to promise I'm going to write a book about this. I'm going to do a bunch of research. I may turn out an article, but I just want to, I, I don't have the answers. I've just got a vision. I don't, but you know, for instance, I don't know what you do when you see a Christian who's actively indoctrinating children into concepts of original sin 
or into the notion that love sometimes requires the torturous death of a person on a cross in order in order that forgiveness can take place like those are barbarous thoughts and and i'm not sure there there are versions of christianity that have so reinterpreted those that have so mythologized those that they're that they can work and i you know as a matter of fact on the website i'm going to put a link to an article by my old friend Jim Burklow, who's the associate dean at U- of religious life at USC, who wrote this wonderful article about what it means to be a mythical Christian and what it means to cherish the scriptures and cherish the Christian tradition as mythology without ever thinking any of it's true, factually. Um, and I'm not saying that the, the, the Burklow's version of Christianity, if he's teaching that to his grandkids, I can watch that happily. The same way I can watch somebody teach their grandkids Spanish and say like, wow, that's the language of their family. They should teach it to them. That's beautiful. When somebody's teaching their kid to be ashamed of their body or to be ashamed of their sexuality or be, to be ashamed of their very, very natural thought processes. Yeah, that's painful to me too. And if that's if that, and that's in the context of my marriage or somebody trying to do that to my kids, yeah, like I have not got the answers to that. That's what I, that I'm starting this project out, this writing project out, trying to figure out how to deal with that kind of stuff. All I'm saying is I don't have the, I don't know how to get there, but at least I got a vision. And I think you got to get a vision. Um, somewhere in the Bible, there's a lovely passage that says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." And you might say, don't quote scriptures at me, it triggers me. And what I'm going to tell you is I'll, I'll quote wherever the truth is. And there's some truth in that scripture where, where there is no vision. Right now you're seeing in our country a government that doesn't have a clear vision or doesn't have a good vision. And it's, and it's problematic. And I'm seeing people in relationships that... I'm seeing young people going to college and they don't have a vision for the kind of person they want to be. And it makes it really hard for them to navigate. So I want to encourage those of us that are committed to loving kindness as a way of life. That it's going to be hard for us to navigate if not, if, if we, we can't just keep looking at our feet and taking the next step and the next step. At some point, it's very difficult to navigate. It's easy to go wrong unless you can look up to the horizon and see um, a place you're trying to get to. And I don't, I can't, I can't name it as well as I want to, but I want to encourage you to start to try to articulate your vision. What kind of world do you want to live in? And if that vision includes, does not include devout believers and supernaturalists of all different stripes, then it's not so much a vision as it is a pipe dream. Because a vision needs to be something that conceivably could happen. And this world is always going to be full of believers and some of them are going to be beautiful. And some of them are going to be struggling. And we've got to find a way to challenge the strugglers to become like the beautiful. And we got to do that in our own, on our own side of the faith divide too. So this is the last segment of the Salmagundi episode of Humanize Me, and it occurs to me 
that there's actually a second salient point to this episode. I mean, the first one I kind of amplified big time up front and drew underlines under it and said, look at this. This is the salient point. This, the second one's more of an undercurrent. It's an undercurrent of nepotism. That's right. Because I earlier played my niece's poem, not because she's my niece, but because it, it struck me as a very meaningful uh, piece of work. But then as we got to the end, I thought, well, we should have some music. And I, I really did. I, I paged through different songs thinking, what would be a good song to just throw out there as part of a Salmagundi? And I thought, wait a second, Roman, the cartoon, otherwise known as Roman Campolo, otherwise known as a guest that many of you already know from the podcast. Roman, the cartoon's been pumping out songs all year long. And there's one of his songs that I think is particularly apt for a relationship show because it's sort of it's sort of a window into a moment in a new relationship where there's some tension between romantic security which we're all sort of looking for and romantic anxiety which is very exciting and I'm not going to say much more about the song except I like it and I hope you like it and either way I'm grateful for you bearing with me, the ups and downs, the ins and outs of the Salmagundi. And don't worry, next week, I'll have a real guest. We'll go back to normal. The week after that, we'll have a real Q&A with John. Everything will, be, everything will be smooth. Everything will be regular. Humanize Me will return to its normal course of events. But if you made it this far, I'm glad you hung with me. Um, and I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. She said there's a part of her gets turned on thinking of me cheating. She would never want it in real life, but her heart is beating fast when she said that I did go about you hurting me. She never felt so safe and now she missed the eye of uncertainty. Damn, there's this ugly part of me that's curious how mad I make you. Who learned early on you don't love someone unless they can break you. We can keep on talking or just let our bodies do the making up. Give me one good reason to be mad or I'll make one up. It's not rational, it's just real. It's not rational, it's just real. It's not rational, it's just real. She said back, You're not real, just rational. You're not real, just rational. You say the words, things to me that you be like, oops. Did I say that out loud? Yeah, you said it out loud. Smoking with a skin tan, skipping school, pulling long boards out the minivan. Surf through curfew and the parents lose touch. Yeah. Friends with not enough money or too much. Meanwhile, I'm in Cincinnati with not enough money, kids. But they knew that I was not really one of them. Slap box, miss, I swung a gun. Swung a gun, swung a gun. Anything to not be a loser. I was 16 and a verbal abuser. Like shut the fuck up, who is at that party? If I make her feel better about herself, she won't think she can have nobody else. Now I take pride in these stories, cause my current girl hears them and she knows they're transforming. Now it's, yeah, never gonna be forced. If we ever get married, then we're never gonna get divorced. She used to be the type, only be honest when she's blacked out. 
down Diamonds round her neck, it's cold as crack out Never was impressed with just some boy who pulled a stack out Girl, you had my back when I was broke, so I got your back now It's not rational, it's just real It's not rational, it's just real It's not rational, it's just real She said back You're not real, just rational You're not real, just rational You say the worst things to me that you be like Oops, did I say that? For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life. Oh